entering the Freedom Hut. President Trump's attorney general says, hey, knock it off with some of the tweets. I got a DOJ to run. We'll get into that, plus the continued fallout from the Roger Stone sentencing. Democrats talking about impeaching the attorney general, maybe impeaching the president again. Bernie Sanders out to a pretty commanding lead among his Democrat rivals. And a lot more coronavirus cases and people are starting to freak out. We'll get into the truth of all this coming up in the Buck Sexton Show. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Happy Valentine's Day. Producer Brandon, did you already send some chocolates, some sweets, perhaps some flowers? I did. Special someone? I gave my girlfriend a uh, a card and a a heart-shaped box full of Kit Kats, and now she is in Mexico seeing Dave Matthews, so we're not together. I just want to tell you that was very nice. I gave a speech last night to the uh, Women's National Republican Club here in New York City, and a very nice nice lady uh, stood up at the end of the speech, and uh, she proceeded to say, I've noticed you don't have a ring on your finger. <laughs> and I said, no. And she was, a, she was a little bit of a different demographic than me. So she says, I noticed you don't have a ring on your finger. Well, I just want to say, one, you did a fantastic speech. And two, we would all like to be your Valentine. All the ladies there. It was very nice. I was very sweet, very appreciative. Adorable. Yeah. And then another lady's like, well, I have two daughters who are... And, I, and then I was, like, I was like, oh, that's very nice of you. And she's like, well... I don't know. You might be too old for them. I was like, whoa, hey. You're not even She's old. Like, they're in grad school. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> anyway, that's pretty funny. Was, uh, the, the ladies of the Women's National Republican Club were uh, offering themselves as my collective collective Valentine. So anyway, um, it's uh, happy Valentine's Day for everybody. We won't talk about how St. Valentine, I believe, was uh, strangled, beaten to death, and um, beheaded. Uh, because he was telling the emperor, I think it was, it was the emperor Claudius that Christianity was the way. Anyways, how romantic! Yeah, let's, let's, let's not worry about that for right now. But happy Valentine's Day, everybody! And we got some more fallout here from the Roger Stone sentencing situation. I, hopefully, we'll have my friend Andy McCarthy join. Yeah, it's Friday. We like to have Andy join. We might have a, a friend of mine, Peter Hassan, join. Talk about his latest book on on Google, YouTube, and these different. Mega, uh, mega media properties that find themselves able to do so much to control the different conversations going on in the country about politics, really about anything at any given time. But first, all right, so let's get into the big moment of controversy. You got to remember that the Democrats have gone through a few iterations now of we must get rid of Trump. We must get rid of him. And they had the Russia collusion scheme. They tried that. That failed. Now they're coming out with, oh, then they tried, of course, impeachment. They wanted to see if maybe the emoluments clause, the 25th Amendment, you know, Trump is crazy. Oh, the Stormy Daniels payoff, campaign finance violation. They, they always have a new theory as to why the president cannot spend another day in office. And, and if you don't see it that way, you're enabling this dictator or some other nonsense. And the latest version of this now. And remember, we, we just had the president, uh, president acquitted last week. 
Okay, they just tried and failed to remove this president from office. Here we are one week later, one week later, and you're already hearing people talk about how they would consider uh, impeaching the president once again. And even now talking about impeaching Barr, because if you can't make a strong case for why the president's got to go, Perhaps then you got to make a case for why you should use the Congress as a process weapon against one of the president's most important uh, cabinet members, one of his most important advisors. And as I've said before, it, you you got to remember they hate Barr because he's so effective. Now, uh, the attorney general gave a an interview, and the, in the interview, he made pretty clear that look, he's first of all the whole theory the Democrats are running with. That led some, like, I mean, here's here's Elizabeth Warren. Let's just start with, I mean, there's so many. Swalwell said, we're not taking impeachment of the president off the table. But Warren is saying, we're not taking, maybe we should impeach Barr if he won't resign. She's a sitting senator. I mean, this should be, and of course, still technically a presidential nominee. Play 19, producer Brandon. Barr's record shows that he is not the attorney general that America desperately needs. An attorney general who will stand up for the rule of law and for the rights of all Americans. That is why I will vote no on Barr's nomination, and I urge my colleagues to do the same. Oh, she wouldn't allow him to be nominated in the first place. Isn't that interesting? Never should have been confirmed as attorney general. Sorry, I, I thought we had a clip there about him talking about her talking about impeachment. That's on me. That was that was the show last night. She did say that if he does not step down, he should be impeached. She basically hates this guy. Why did she hate him? Because he won't back down. Because he won't take the lib media's de- uh, demands, as shown through various TV shows that they run on the news and uh, or you know news shows and newsrooms across the country. Uh, the attorney general is just like, look, you can say whatever you want. No one is going to tell me to do my job in a way that I think is improper. No one's going to bring political influence. This is the interview that that he gave uh, on this one. Please play 17. And I will make those decisions based on what I think is the right thing to do. And I'm not going to be bullied or influenced by anybody. And I said at the time, whether it's Congress, newspaper, editorial boards, or the president, I'm going to do what I think is right. Now, this is this is important because even some so-called conservative people in government, or especially you see this with the Supreme Court, where I really do believe that Justice Roberts is someone who reads the editorial page of the Washington Post, the New York Times, and doesn't want to doesn't want to be hated for all eternity by the lib media. So he likes to take this. Oh, I'll I'll go a middle way. I'll, I'll try to you know split the baby. I'll, I'll do something that appeases the the left a little bit. And as we know, he's saved Obamacare not once but twice. Uh, so this is what. This is what ends up happening. There are people that you would think are conservative. There are people you would think would be ideologically aligned with the administration or even just willing to not cave to the crazy left wing demands. And they do. They end up saying, oh, okay, I don't want to be the bad guy here. So they adhere to this this standard of of good faith that I think is often just a liability for for conservatives. The bill bar is like no one's no one's going to intimidate me. Look, he's an older guy. He's been in the game forever. He's well off. He knows the drill. 
I, I totally believe him when he says that he's not going to be intimidated by anybody. Keep in mind, the whole theory that Democrats have been running with the last couple of days, the whole theory is that Bill Barr, because Trump tweeted about the Roger Stone case, Bill Barr is doing something that is wrong. He is taking orders from the president on this case. That's the whole... And then that the president is putting undue political influence. Remember, the undue influence from the president makes no sense here. So so before we even get into, is the allegation that, that, that Pelosi and the Democrats, and I don't have any, they, they've been calling for him to be impeached the last couple of days. Somehow I didn't request, I had it for the show last night, I didn't request that audio for this morning. This is what happens when you do two radio shows a day, producer Brandon. You know, it starts to get a little confused in your brain. Plus, I get val- you, know, you got Valentine's Day. You know what I mean? So there's a lot, a lot of things going on. But they were saying that, that Barr should be impeached, and they're saying this because they, their theory is that President Trump told him, you have, to, you have to overrule some of your federal prosecutors in the Roger Stone case on the sentencing request. Remember, it's not even the sentencing. It's the request for the sentencing. And their theory is that this is, this is undue influence. Okay, hold, let, let's just step back for one second. Any normal person who does not hate Roger Stone would look at this and say seven to nine years, even a request of seven to nine years meant to influence a federal judge on this case that will determine how long Roger Stone goes to prison. A seven to nine year request is just is flatly absurd. They added these enhancements like threatening a witness when Randy Credico, the witness that allegedly was threatened here, said, I didn't feel threatened. It's just Roger Stone being Roger Stone. It's, a, it's effectively the same thing as if a prosecutor you know, said, well, you were once overheard threatening to, you know, threatening to kill your husband. And you're like, what, what do you mean? And it's like, oh, one of your neighbors, you know, when your husband dropped a, dropped a plate full of spaghetti all on the floor and you yelled, you know, I could kill you for that. Or, you know, I'm going to kill you. We all know that you're not actually threatening to kill your husband because he dropped a plate of spaghetti. It's just this is a matter of spaghetti. But that's what prosecutors did. I mean, Ro- Roger Stone is like, I'm going to get your dog or something. He's just being Roger Stone. If you read the text messages, trust me, the witness was not, oh, no, 70-year-old Roger Stone is coming after me. That is what the federal prosecutors, two of whom are part of the Mueller probe, all libs, all Democrats, by the way, the four that have resigned, they're clear left-wing hacks inside the federal uh, federal prosecutor's office. That's what they did. They, 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 libs do this all the time, by the way. When it comes to bashing Trump, they will pretend that people, that they can't understand common English language usage. They, you know, they'll pretend when, when Trump or, or they'll pretend that it's not possible to understand when someone is using a bit of rhetorical flourish or exaggeration. I mean, you'll see this all the time. Journalists will do this with Trump. Well, Trump will say, you know, this is it's the greatest hotel. It's the best hotel in the universe, you know, whatever. And they're like, and it's a, Trump is saying it's the best hotel in the history of the world. That's clearly not true. He's lying. I mean, you know, guys, do we, do we have to all? No, the truth is they do. They have to act like they're even dumber than they are. Because that gives them then the space for more outrage at Trump. They take things literally that no serious person would take literally. And they do this because they have to feed this need for Trump is the worst person in the history of the world. So terrible, so awful. Um, Because to go in the other direction would be to admit that all the times that they've been saying that Trump is 
basically worse than Hitler. They're morons for saying that. And it's a stupid uh, it's a stupid thing to say, and they degrade their own intelligence every time they, they make such claims. So that's a part of this. We all know that the threat uh, that Roger Stone was not really threatening a witness and that, and that to add that as a federal enhancement was just because they hate they hate Roger Stone. Right. That, that, so start with that. Um, the, you know, the, the prosecutors involved here. Now it's come out that also the prosecutors in this case, remember, a couple of them are, are veterans of the Mueller ambush against Trump. So guess what? These people do not like this administration and are looking to build legacies for themselves, big fancy jobs at law firms that lean left as unfortunately most major law firms do now. I mean, corporate America effectively leans left now. I mean, you know, wokeness and politically correct culture has taken over corporate America. Uh, but these individuals uh, involved in this case told the the new supervisory uh, U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, this guy Shea, you know, because Shea saw this without Barr or anyone else weighing in on this. So you got these four prosecutors that are all weighing in that Stone should get seven to nine years. Shea is new. This is the newest reporting from today. And he says, guys, come on, this is a crazy sentence. And these prosecutors say, if you don't if you don't let us ask for seven to nine years, we're all gonna resign. So this became this became a showboat opportunity for them. That's what this was. And so Shea apparently backed down, even though initially he was like, that's absurd, guys, come on. And the attorney general goes, all right, this is absurd. We got to rein this in. Because guess what? It looks bad from our side. It looks like undue. They keep worrying about Trump's undue political influence. I'm concerned about the undue political influence of having a bunch of clear, dem, hitmen prosecutors who are crushing somebody who's associated with Trump just because they have this need to make all the Russia collusion stuff, anything Mueller probe related, seem more serious and severe than it was because the whole thing was a sham, a fraud, and a disgrace to our judicial system. So you have to keep all of that. All of that is is going on here. All, any normal person says seven to nine years for what Roger Stone's crimes are. are It's just crazy. And by the way, they say that the president's influence here is is now some horrible misconduct. I mean, Pelosi's running around saying, no, I don't think we have her clip saying this, but she says crazy stuff. Oh, no, 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 she does. She does. I'm sorry. I, now I'm getting gun shy about clips because I've called for some that we only had on last night. 16, please, Producer Brandon. This is an abuse of power that the president is again trying to manipulate federal law enforcement to serve his political interest. Manipulate federal law enforcement to serve his political interest. Um, how is he manipulating? That The theory there has to be that he ordered Bill Barr to change this recommendation of a sentencing when... Does anyone think that Bill Barr wasn't outraged by this preposterous sentencing request? Any normal person would be outraged by this sentencing request. So why is there this assumption? Well, it's because Trump tweeted about this. And we'll get into what Barr has to say about that. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. President does not like to be told what to do. He may not like what you're saying. Are you prepared for those ramifications? Of, of course. As I you know, said during my confirmation, uh, I came in to serve as attorney general. Uh, 
I am responsible for everything that happens in the department, but the thing I have most responsibility for are the issues that are brought to me for decision. And I will make those decisions based on what I think is the right thing to do, and I'm not going to be bullied or influenced by anybody, and I said at the time, whether it's Congress, newspaper, editorial boards, or the president, I'm going to do what I think is right. And, uh, you know, uh, the, I think the, the, I cannot do my job here at the department uh, with a constant background commentary that, that undercuts me. Who he's saying is, look, I respect what's going on with the president and everything else. And, and you know, Barr and the president, I know, have a good relationship. But it, w- it was a messaging error for the president to get ahead of the DOJ decision because the DOJ decision was clearly, any reasonable person could see, separate from Trump. Now, look, if there were different circumstances, I'd say, OK, you know, I don't know, maybe we do have to dig into this. No normal person would think that the Roger Stone seven to nine year sentence was acceptable. OK, only Trump deranged lib lunatics would think that. So then to make the leap that, well, Trump had to tell Barr, Trump did not have to tell the attorney general that this was egregious. All right. And even the supervising and this has come out today, the supervising U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia initially to the prosecutors handling the case was like, guys, come on. And then they threatened him with, we're going to resign. How dare you? You're, you know, you're, you're not letting us make the call here, and we should make the call. Now, remember, the judge makes the final call. So this, this is a, ultimately a, a, minor, a minor component of this longstanding trial that has brought Nancy Pelosi and Schumer and the rest of the Dem libs to freak out and say that Trump is ruining the justice system and because they just need another freakout narrative right now. They don't know what else to do with themselves. They're, they're obsessed with this. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, my reaction is the president made a great choice when he picked Bill Barr to be attorney general. I think the president should listen to his advice. So you have a problem with the president's tweeting as well? I think that if the attorney general says it's getting in the way of doing his job, maybe the president should listen to the attorney general. So do you think the tweet about his opinion on the Roger Stone sentencing recommendations is inappropriate political interference? Well, the, the, the attorney general has said it's making it difficult for him to do his job. I think the president ought to listen to the attorney general, who's an outstanding uh, law enforcement officer. He's, he's a top person in, in the country. The president made a wise selection in picking Bill Barr. I think I'd listen to him. You value precedent. Um, are you concerned at all that President Trump, in his mind, has somehow politicized the Department of Justice or this has become the new normal for him? Well, I hate to keep saying the same thing. Okay, all I got over you. Again, they, but listen to the Attorney General. Yeah, but I'm think, talking about you as look, Senate he's, he's Majority picked, Leader. He's picked, well, I, I think the Attorney General knows what he's talking about. I'm not a. I'm not the Attorney General, but I have confidence in Bill Barr. I think he's doing a good job, and I think he's told the president this is not helpful, making it difficult for him to do his job. I think the president will listen to him. I think Cocaine Mitch is right here, and Bill Barr is right. Now, that's not to say that the president's tweets need to stop entirely about everything, and and it's not to say that this is even a legal issue. It's a perception issue. Don't give the don't give the crazy libs. Don't give the the psycho Dems anything to work with because there was no need for it here. 
right? If he had waited until after the DOJ had come forward, like, it, it, this is just messaging discipline stuff. So it's not a big deal. But we have to remember that the Democrats make everything a big deal. They, oh, it's such a huge, huge controversy. Uh, because what exactly? Now, now Roger Stone's only going to go to prison for a year or two instead of you know five or six. Roger Stone had nothing to do with. There was no Russia collusion. He, he didn't. He didn't betray the country. There's n- none of that was true. That was what they were saying all along, though. That's what the Democrats, the lib media, were trying to convince people was true. They were wrong. They were entirely wrong. And now they're trying to just stay on offense as their primary turns into the socialism Olympics. I mean, this is crazy, right? Who, who's going to be the most far left is going to be the uh, that person seems to be the likely candidate to be the next Democrat nominee. Right. That's really what the contest is now. Who can be the furthest left? Because Bernie Sanders is winning. Pete Buttigieg is behind him. The only real viable alternative to that far left approach that's emerging right now is Michael Bloomberg. And we'll talk about where he stands in all this coming up in a little bit. We got, we got a lot of show for a Friday. Um, but I, I just think this is what I've been telling you all along, that they're going to look for another removal proceeding or they're going, to, they're, they're going to have to start up another narrative. Even if they know that it won't work, there will be a story the media latches onto about why the president must be removed from not beaten at the ballot box. That's a separate story. But the removed from office story. He is not allowed to continue. This goes to the heart of the left-wing narrative that he is not, that Trump is not the legitimate president of the United States. They really believe that. And they want media outlets to reinforce it. They want that story to be told constantly, even if any reasonable person would say, this is just absurd. You guys are looking like you're, you're completely nuts with this stuff. So... Trump tweeted out today, quote, the president never has never asked me to do anything in a criminal case, quote, uh, A.G. Barr. So he's referring to Attorney General Barr here, who said the president's never asked him to do it in in a criminal case. This doesn't mean that I do not have as president the legal right to do so, but I have so far chosen not to. Oh, Oh, the libs are freaking out about this one, too. But what the president says technically is correct. The president can direct the Department of Justice, and it would certainly be uh, correct for him to depart to direct the Department of Justice to look at certain. You know, if he's like, "Hey guys, I really need, I really need to know about, you know, Hezbollah terror financing. Can we direct more resources to that?" The president has every right to do things like that. If the president gave an order that was wrong, or if the president said, "I want you to not." prosecute this person because I like him or something like that, then it's on the Department of Justice to say, we will not comply. You can fire us or we'll resign, but we will not comply. So that's that's where this is. The president is technically correct, but once again, they're going to completely and utterly lose their minds over this because now, oh, he's interfering in criminal cases. It's always the same thing with the libs. What you know? There are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of federal criminal cases every year. The president has has been through a special counsel and impeachment proceeding. He's had lots of his associates, uh, you know, prosecuted really aggressively. He has not done anything to stop those prosecutions. He has not yet pardoned any of them. 
And that reminds me that all along they're saying he's interfering in this process. Okay, he could let them sentence Roger Stone to nine years and then just say you're pardoned. And he has 100% authority to do that. So what are they even really complaining about? That he's trying to influence it without taking the political hit of actually pardoning Roger Stone? It's not worth it. Why, you know, why direct your attorney general to do this? First of all, if he was going to tell the attorney general to do this, he would. There's no, there's no point in him tweeting about it because he's got to understand that that's just going to direct all this attention to it. So n- nothing that the Democrats are saying, none of their narrative here makes any sense. But they're desperate for another. Oh my gosh, the sky is falling. Trump is the worst. We're all, you know, the, the whole country's going to collapse. Because Roger Stone might not serve enough time in prison. You know, it's really is a reminder, too, for all the talk that libs have about criminal justice reform and how much, you know, they don't like the incar- you know, mass incarceration, the incarceral state, all this stuff they say. But then when there's a political target they don't like, even if it's someone who's already been ruined, already been bankrupted, uh, elderly person, you know, somebody who doesn't have that much time left, but is a Trump associate, they just want to see that person s- just skewered. They want to see that person you know, eaten alive, prison for as long as possible, ruined for, you know, ruined for all eternity in terms of their reputation and their careers. And so don't ever believe this whole liberal, oh, we care so much about the, you know, people that are downtrodden and in prison. That's a political narrative because the moment they don't like the person that's being prosecuted, they want them to go to prison for as long as possible. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, guys, we actually have some breaking news, and we have the perfect guest for it. Uh, Andy McCarthy is with us now. He is a senior writer at National Review, author of many books, and also formerly of the Southern District of New York, where he was an assistant U.S. attorney. Andy, thanks as always for making the time. we got a lot of things to run through you today. We sure do, Buck. Yeah. All right. So let, let's start with the, with the, the breaking news that there's a, a letter out now from the DOJ saying, I've been telling people this all along, and I've been saying this is the test. This is where we see if the law really applies. They're declining to bring criminal charges against acting FBI Director McCabe. You know the facts about this very well. The Inspector General report said that he lied in a in a, uh, a binding under oath situation. What's going on here, Andy? Well, I guess, Buck, the only thing that we can glean for the moment, because this is apparently... I haven't. I've seen reporting about the letter. I haven't uh, seen the letter. I don't know if it's if the letter is publicly available that the Justice Department sent. But uh, they evidently they simply advise his lawyers that they're not going to go forward. I don't know that they've given a rational rationale for that. They often don't. The only thing I can fathom is that they decided that they couldn't prove intent to mislead beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, I, I find that difficult to understand based on what we saw in Inspector General Horowitz's report, which seemed to me to be uh, pretty damning. Uh, but, you know, obviously, uh, if, if they did it for any other reason, like if they decided not to prosecute him, even though they thought there was a case there uh, because of, you, you know, whatever equities they found uh, would have been involved because of his service to the United States, then I think that would be a terrible uh, outcome because it would confirm people in the idea, which they're going to be confirmed in uh, anyway, 
that there are two tiers of justice in this country and the connected get one quality of justice and the rest of us get a different one. Uh, but we'll have to see what they have to say about why they did what they did. I here's here's the letter, Andy, from the uh, U.S. Department of Justice, Timothy Shea, United States Attorney. Dear counsel, we write to inform you that after careful consideration, the government has decided not to pursue criminal charges against your client, Andrew G. McCabe, arising from the referral by the Office of the Inspector General to our Office of Conduct, described in the OIG's April 13, 2018 report. Based on the totality of the circumstances and all the information known to the government at this time, we consider the matter closed. Please do not hesitate to contact us. That's all they got. Yeah. Well, I guess the only thing that uh, they would tell you, I suppose, is that uh, they would have had to prove his intent beyond a reasonable doubt. And he's made a very vigorous argument that he didn't intentionally mislead anyone. And they also fired him uh, and denied him at least a uh, part of his uh, retirement compensation that he would have uh, otherwise been uh, entitled to. But I don't hear anything in the letter that you've just read buck that suggests that uh in exchange for this the uh, that mccabe is going to drop his case against the government so i assume that's still uh going forward so, so I, I but i need to understand they, andy they, how they could they for example explain now how can any of these people who are for who are involved in say the the Mueller prosecution and of course the media all around them we know i mean i mean i won't speak for you i mean i think the media is overwhelmingly liberal hacks pretending to be journalists but anyway how is it that uh, we have General Flynn still pleading to a felony and facing, we don't know, I mean, he probably won't get prison time, but facing, you know, theoretically prison time uh, for lying about a non-issue, meaning lying about no crime, we'll say, right? Lying about not committing a crime. Why all of a sudden is, is it not a problem for McCabe to lie? Buck, you're hitting on exactly what the problem is. It's two tiers of justice. And, uh, you know, I think the Flynn case is outrageous. Uh, and, I, you know, obviously, if they're going to give someone like McCabe a pass, uh, I think the Justice Department ought to be reexamining the Flynn case, because there's no reason that uh, if this is going to be the standard, then there's no reason why they need to wait for the president to pardon Flynn. They can simply say that uh, under the standards that they're now evaluating false statements cases under uh he shouldn't have been prosecuted in the first place so that they don't they don't want to go forward anymore but i don't uh i'm not going to hold my breath waiting for that to happen yeah i mean i I, i'm honestly stunned by this although i will say i've been predicting this for a long time i've been actually telling this audience you you mccabe will not i i've been saying he won't spend a day in jail i'm i'm a little surprised that they're saying we're actually not even bringing charges against him well, can I say this, Buck? I, I would say, you know, just thinking this out with you as we're sitting here and this news is breaking, mm -hmm. certainly seems to me like the Justice Department has cleared the field for the president to go on ahead and pardon General Flynn. Absolutely. I mean, I the, the president could come out today and say, you know, look, if this is going to be the rules of the road, then pardon. Yeah, I think I think he's totally correct. And, and you know, Andy, I also want to talk to you a bit about something. You know, this has been a big week for the uh, trust and faith that people have or the lack thereof in, in the justice system. 
A, a big recent news item, really in the last 24 hours, I think it broke, uh, was that the juror, the jury foreman, four foreperson, whatever, in the Roger Stone case that has come out was effectively an anti-Trump activist who had posted online about hating Roger Stone and hating Trump. How can that person be allowed to be on a federal jury for such a politically sensitive case? Well, Buck, what we don't know, or at least what I don't know at this point, is how much examination was done of the juror in the voir dire, which is the questioning of the juror before the jury is seated. Uh, did the juror lie? Was he, you know, the juror asked appropriate questions about, uh, you know, political attitudes to the extent they would have borne on uh, the issues that were coming up in the case, including the fact that uh, uh, that Stone had a relationship with the president and so on. Uh, I understand this person even ran for office as a as a Democrat. So, uh, you know, I don't know if this is a case of Flynn's not Flynn uh, Stone's lawyer is being asleep at the switch or uh, if the juror misled the court and the parties during the questioning. What happens if that's the uh, case, by the way, Andy? What, like, if you were trying a federal case and somebody, you know, to get on the jury because they actually hated the defendant, let's say they had some personal beef with them and they lied about that to be on that jury, and then you get the verdict and then you find this out afterwards, what happens? Well, they'll make a motion for a new trial, or at least they can do that. Uh, and if the, if the intentional misleading... Uh, is bad enough, uh, then he'll probably be able to get uh, a new trial. Although I, I would say, Buck, you know, two things. Number one, the court is going to factor in how much of this should have been aware to to uh, Stone's lawyers and what action did they take. In other words, are we dealing with information that was available to them and they simply were negligent uh, in not discovering it and bringing it to the court's attention. And then the other thing that usually factors in in these kinds of cases is the strength of the evidence in the case. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood because I've said this a couple of times and, and people have wanted to throw stuff at me. I am not saying that if your rights get violated, you're not entitled to a new trial. And if his rights were violated to get a fair jury, then he's going to be entitled to a new trial. It's simply a fact of life that when courts look at whether somebody was prejudiced or not, one of the things they factor in is how overwhelming is the evidence of guilt. Uh, in this case, the evidence of guilt against Stone is very strong, um, which would suggest that they would need to show that there was a real, you know, such a, an error that, uh, you know, the outcome of the trial could have been different. I see. What you're uh, so, so I mean, I'm I'm not a stone truther here. I mean, I you know I think the guy did he did break the law. I mean, he's not allowed to do what he did. So you're saying if it's pretty ironclad, that will be factored in as well to whether or not this would be a, they could declare a mistrial or would that is not not is that not the proper term if it's after the fact? Yeah, he no, you're you're right. It would be a it would be a mistrial. It would not be you know he there would not be any double jeopardy protection. What what he would get. Uh, if he wanted it, would be a new trial. He, now, the other thing to bear in mind here is he may not want a new trial. You know, maybe he. he, uh, he yeah, he's going to get a he's going to get a bad result. I don't think he's going to be feel like someone's going to. But you know, who knows? Andy, can we hold you for one sec? We got some more here. 
Yeah, of course. Uh-huh. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so guys, we're back with Annie McCarthy from National Review, uh, also author of Ball of Collusion, and uh, he is a former U.S. assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Um, you know, Andy, uh, first of all, th- I heard you say that you had heard me on the WOR station here in New York, so thank you for, for the shout-out on that. Yeah, Wednesday night, it was great. I uh, I happened to be coming home from a very important playoff hockey game that my son was in. Um, and Did he I win? got in the car, and there you were, Buck. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, there we go. It was a good night all around. That's what we like, that's what we like to hear. Good night all around. That's so, right. So, Andy, uh, I, I just want to know, from, from your perspective, I mean, you were you were working in the as a federal prosecutor for, for over 20 years, and, and you've been covering this now, writing about this as an analyst for a long time. Are we entering a phase here where this is actually getting a little the uh, selective prosecution uh, that we see going on for politically sensitive cases? Is this unlike anything you've ever seen before? And are you starting to get a little bit uh, not just ill at ease, a little a little frightened for where this is going? Well, I don't feel like it's like nothing I've ever seen before because. You know, I think there was a lot of scandal in the Obama administration, and it wasn't covered at all. Uh, I I think that the, you know, during the Clinton administration, we had an enormous scandal, uh, but the media was about 180 degrees different than they had been uh, during the Nixon scandal when I was a kid. So... Uh, you know, I don't want to say I've never seen anything like this, but I do think that particularly with this president who will speak his mind about this uh, in a way that uh, probably Washington is not used to, we are in a dangerous place of having two tiers of justice in this country. And when you have that, you don't have any justice because you end up convincing the public that the system is rigged. And this is not this is not a frivolous thing, because um, the rule of law is what we rely on in order to have a flourishing society and domestic tranquility. And if you start to think that the rule of law is and law enforcement in general is rigged uh, and that, you know, you have to be on the right side in order to ensure that you don't uh, that, that you don't run afoul of the law. Uh, domestic tranquility is going to be very hard to keep. What should the reaction of the Department of Justice, I mean, from from what you've seen, this whole fiasco over the Roger Stone sentencing, which isn't even really his, right? It's just a sentencing request. I, I just wanted you to walk through, you know, why was that egregious? I mean, it just sort of is offensive to people's sensibility, but from a prosecutor's perspective, why would it be excessive? Obviously, A.G. Barr thought it was excessive, and I believe he really did. I don't think it had anything to do with Trump. Um, and yeah. what do you think the motivations were of the prosecutors that have resigned? I mean, I haven't gotten a chance to ask you about that. I think the, the Stone prosecution from beginning to end, and I, I let me preface this by saying I think Stone is guilty of obstructing justice, and it's a slam dunk. Um I think the Stone prosecution from beginning to end was a case uh, of treating somebody uh, who is kind of a goofy character uh, as if he were Osama bin Laden. 
and that it was a case of gaslighting the public into believing if they could gaslight them into believing that there was still something to be said for the collusion narrative, even though, and I'm talking about Trump campaign collusion with Russia, even though Stone was not charged until 19 months after after Mueller was appointed, at which time they had long known that there was no collusion case. And yet they wrote charges that made it seem like the collusion thing was still alive and well. If you look at that disgraceful indictment, uh, it goes on for pages and pages where it seems like feels like collusion, seems like collusion. We're getting close to collusion. And then you flip to the end and it's seven process charges that don't have anything to do with collusion. So to me, the way the prosecutors handled the sentencing was consistent with the politicized way that they did the investigation in which they took a guy who was a minor offender a 67-year-old first offender in failing health who committed a run-of-the-mill obstruction case. The Justice Department often doesn't even prosecute lying to Congress uh, as obstruction. But this guy, you know, look, he was involved in in, uh, tampering with witnesses. He lied to Congress, prosecute him, fine. A normal prosecutor would have done a one-count obstruction indictment, zero to five years. He would have gotten a sentence of about a year and a half to two years, and we could have called it a day. Uh, And instead, they treated this guy like he was a major criminal, to the point where even when they arrested him, they had the frog team outside as if he was going to escape by sea. They had the helicopters overhead, and there were so many cars out on the street, government cars, that CNN almost couldn't find a place to park. That's how bad it was. I mean, he used to to call in... You know, used to call in the troops when necessary to go after the bad guys when you're the Southern District. And you also, I'm sure, had guys who showed up and they're like, okay, I'm here for, right? I mean, like, how how could any serious person justify what you brought up about the, I think it was almost three dozen people sent in with long guns to go get Roger Stone? I mean, how, who, who gives that and order? How, and, and, right. And how about this, Buck? And from your experience, you'll you'll know this, too. How about you treat a guy like that? And then two hours later, he walks out the front door of the courthouse because the court releases him on his own recognizance. So the whole thing was a show. I mean, they knew that this guy was not a flight risk. They knew he was not a danger. And yet they tried to project major criminality, both as a show of force to intimidate him and, more importantly, to try to suggest to the public that there was something really, really serious that the uh, that the special counsel and the staff had spent a couple of years uh, investigating. It's a disgrace. Now, I know that this is where, if I were talking to uh, some of the Democrats I know, and I brought up Hillary, they'd say, oh, you know, this is the whataboutism of Hillary. But I I can't help but feel like, you know, you had Hillary Clinton, and and I always appreciated your analysis on this because you know I, I was never I knew she wasn't going to get. I know how classified mishandling works. I you know I know people that have been caught up in investigations around that. You know, unless it's intentional and actual espionage, you know you're usually you're not going to prison for decades. And even sometimes if it is intentional, you're not going to prison for decades. So the whole lock her up thing was a little bit overheated in that respect. But Hillary Clinton broke the law. There was recklessness, and she didn't even have to answer for it in a court of any kind. I mean, to me, I don't understand how any person could honestly argue that that wasn't politicized prosecutorial discretion and that that this is what we just, we keep seeing it play out the same way. Yeah. And, and Buck, forget about for a second the classified information aspect of it, which I think 
the way that that dominated the conversation about it uh, was in some ways misleading because if we put that on the side, she destroyed 30,000 emails under, at a point in time when they were under subpoena where Congress had issued preservation demands on her. And we now know that her public statements that she turned over all the work-related stuff were, were patent lies. The, the FBI even admitted that they found lots and lots of work-related stuff uh, in the stuff that they were – in the emails that they were able to reassemble that they never uh, – that she never provided to the State Department. So just on you know, destroying government documents – and obstructing a congressional investigation, which, by the way, is what Roger Stone was charged with. It seems to me there was pretty considerable evidence of that. And we, all we talked about was, was classified information. But those offenses are pretty serious, and people do go to jail for them. Andy, you know, I was I was asked last night about this, and I, I wish it was recorded because I said I made I made my prediction. Someone asked specifically about McCabe. I didn't realize this letter was going to come down today, and and in the speech at the Women's National Republican Club, I said he's not spending a day in jail, folks. And I'm here to tell you the truth. It's never going to happen. I know how I know how the federal bureaucracy treats its own, and unless you've embarrassed them, which is a whole different thing, you know, unless you're like the guy at the CIA that you know gives all the information to some news paper or something, and unless you embarrass them, you're, you're, they're usually going to take care of you. But they also asked me, well, what do we do? How do we fix this? Or how should this be addressed? This selective prosecution, this two-tier justice system, I, I, I pass this to you now. The same question. I didn't have a particularly you know, encouraging or robust answer for it. What do you think? I mean, now this is a slap in the face, this McCabe thing today. Yeah, well, you know, look, I, I think that it's probably not that President Trump will follow my advice on this for sure. Um, but I think it's a little bit premature to to make a final judgment about it because they are investigating uh, the origins of the Trump Russia investigation. We have been told that that is a criminal investigation. They didn't have to make it a criminal investigation. They didn't have to say that, but they did. Uh, so, you know, as they say, the jury is still out on what the bottom line is on this. But I would be very discouraged if I was uh, uh, someone just looking at this. I really thought that there would be action taken against McCabe. And I'm not suggesting that there hasn't already been action. He obviously has gotten uh, sanctions. But, um, you know, losing his job would not be enough for uh, the Justice Department when they were dealing with most people. You would be prosecuted. I mean, Andy, I, I was in the room. I was in the room sometimes when there were discussions about somebody in a terrorism case who it turned out wasn't a terrorist and there was no terror offense, but, you know, lied about, you know, his brother coming in from Yemen or Pakistan or, you know, something or other. Yep. And and they hit him with a 1001 charge. Five years. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. And there are many, many cases uh, that many of them generated by the Mueller investigation itself, where they couldn't get anyone on any underlying crimes, and they generated new crimes by means of the investigation. I mean, these are all process prosecutions uh, because they spent, you know, goo gobs of money and a couple of years investigating something that wasn't a crime. Ah, man, it's it's. I think this is a kind of a dark day for the country. I, I really, I'm in a little bit of. Uh... 
little bit of shock that they think that this is that this is going to fly. But Annie, always a pleasure and and always insightful to have you here on the show. Uh, Ball of Collusion, everybody's Andy's book. If you haven't read it, it's a fantastic uh, run through of the entire issue of Russia collusion. He's going to have a uh, paperback coming out relatively soon. We'll have him back on to talk about that. Also, read his latest at National Review. I always do. Andy, thank you so much. Thanks, Buck. What's your gift this Valentine's Day? How about taking 10, 15, or even 20 years off your appearance with Breakthrough GenuCell Jawline Treatment? No more turkey neck, double chin, or sagging jawline. It works amazingly well. Just listen to Linda B. from Marina Del Rey. I love your jawline cream. It really works. I mean, I really see a difference. And people never believe my age. It's incredible. And from now till Valentine's Day, the brand new GenuCell Jawline Treatment is yours free when you order GenuCell for bags and puffiness under the eye. And for results in 12 hours, the immediate effects are also free. Go to GenuCell.com or call 800-525-6553. Say goodbye to that double chin, bags under your eyes, and even those laugh lines and crow's feet. Guaranteed or your money back. Call 800-525-6553 or go to GenuCell.com. Call the next 20 minutes and get the GenuCell XV Collagen Builder and Eyelid Lift free, plus free express shipping. It's the last week, so order now. Call 800-525-6553 or go to GenuCell.com. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. If you're related to Trump or you're a friend of Trump, go out and rob a bank because he's got you covered right now. Yeah. Go out, commit a crime. Sure. Nothing matters anymore. Sure. You know? And, you know, and he, he, he fires heroes like Vindman, and he rewards criminals like Roger Stone. This is the country you are living in right now, ladies and gentlemen. Pay attention, please. <sighs> Joy Behar's a moron. But actually, she represents a very commonplace view. She, she does speak for the, the millions and millions of very stupid brainwashed liberals across the country who see these issues the same way that she does. Think about this for a moment. Her, her, think of the contention she makes here. And by the way, Sonny Hostin, who has a law degree and is, and is apparently a, telev- a television legal analyst, is right there going, yep, yeah, absolutely, sure. I think she worked for a district attorney's office for a few years. I, I don't know exactly her resume other than just I know she's a legal analyst and has a JD. Uh, but she's saying, oh, yeah, what, what Joy Behar is saying is true. All right, let's look at what Joy Behar is saying. Um that if you're a, a relative of Trump's, go commit a crime. If you're a friend of Trump's, go commit a crime. Nothing will happen to you. Nothing will happen to you? Roger Stone's going to prison, you moron. He's just not going to prison for the, like, the next 20 years. And, you know, how, how does she not understand this? You know who goes to prison in these highly politicized investigations? People around Trump who work for Trump. They go to prison. The deep state libs that have been trying to sandbag them all along, that have been trying to ambush them and screw them over, they don't go to prison. None of them go to prison. Hillary Clinton, does she go to prison? Broke the law over 100 times. Clear as day. Black letter law. Couldn't be any more obvious. No, she doesn't go to prison. She doesn't even get prosecuted. Forget about prison. I mean, this is how skewed this is. When a Republican uh, or, or somebody in Trump's orbit breaks the law... Even if it's a very minor law, they will complain when Republicans say, OK, hold on a second. You know, let's is this person this person's being punished a little excessively. Meanwhile, libs don't even have to get prosecuted. 
They, they don't even have charges brought. They get away completely clean. FBI director, acting FBI director, former FBI director Andy McKay broke the law. There's no question about this. But ah, this this is the Clinton effect. Remember, Bill Clinton oh, did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. Lied under oath about something that was central to what was going on in that deposition room at that time. It was a material lie. It was a clear lie. He lied. He was not prosecuted, and they said it was not a crime. I mean, this this is the way that we're supposed to continue living our lives. This is supposed to be the rule now. If you're a lib, you can get away with this stuff. Find me the conservative who broke the law and did not pay the price. Find me the prominent Republican. Oh, yeah, what, Dinesh D'Souza? Oh, no, that's right. Dinesh D'Souza was more aggressively prosecuted than anybody else who had done a similar, let's call it a nonviolent crime is even overstated. I mean, it's like a, a, a minor process financial crime. He gave more money than he was supposed to to a political candidate who got crushed in the election. It's a really a who cares crime, but... And they, you know, sent him to a, they made him go to like a halfway house and felony prosecution. And oh, who did that? Preet Bharara. Oh, you mean the Preet Bharara who ran to CNN right away after Trump fired him, now has a podcast and just goes on CNN and tells the crazy libs what they want to hear about Russia collusion and how Trump is undermining our democracy? Preet Bharara is a lib ideologue. And when he had an opportunity to take Dinesh D'Souza down and really stick it to him, that's what he did. And Trump did the right thing by pardoning Dinesh. No question about it. Look at the Scooter Libby situation. Scooter Libby, they say, lied about outing a CIA agent that they knew he didn't out because Richard Armitage outed the person and she was in no danger and she was a desk jockey and everything else that you're hearing from the media about that is a lie. But they wanted to send Scooter Libby to prison for... Two years federal prison, loses law license, convicted felon. And I've sat here before and gone through, and they've tried to do this. They won't remember there were there were real concerns among people I know in conserve in conservative circles who are connected that they were going to try to prosecute Donald Trump Jr. They were trying to find some theory of the case where they could prosecute Donald Trump Jr. for sitting down with somebody who said, Hey, I've got some stories to tell you about Hillary Clinton. They were going to make that illegal. Ooh, the Trump Tower meeting. This is what we're up against. But you have Joy Behar saying the exact opposite of that reality. And she really believes it. I mean, she's dumb, but she is giving voice to stupid libs all across the country. Who, who would want to? I, I would love to have this debate with. I don't even have a JD. I don't even have a law degree. I'm just not a brainwashed buffoon. I would have this debate with any CNN, Jeffrey Tubin. I'd wipe the floor with him. Same thing with Preparara. These guys are hacks. They try to use a bunch of legal mumbo-jumbo to try to make it sound like what they're doing isn't clearly left-wing activism politics. It's politics disguised as legal theory. It's politics disguised as justice. Andy McCabe not getting, not facing any criminal sanction whatsoever for clear, black-letter violation of the law. It's a bad day for the country, my friends. It's a bad day. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, you got to worry about a nominee who is so attracted to the old Soviet Union years ago that he and his wife went on a honeymoon to Moscow during the Cold War. 
uh, he's the real deal. But what bothers me more is all the rest of them sound very similar. They just don't describe themselves as socialists. Some of them call themselves moderates. If the definition of a moderate in the Democratic presidential primaries these days is they're not for Medicare for all, but they're for the public option. The public option means it'll only be one insurance company pretty soon. So you're all headed in the same direction, socialized medicine. I think they're all taking far left uh, positions. And even though Bernie Sanders gets some credit for truth and labeling, uh, they all, I think, are headed in the same direction. Mitch McConnell's totally correct here. Sounds like yours truly, which is probably why I think he's totally correct, but he is correct. And all these Democrats, now the Democrat Party is a socialism party. The only differences among these candidates is really uh, one of speed. You have Biden and some of the others like him. There's an incrementalism towards socialism versus immediate leaps to socialism, immediate revolutionary style socialism. We're going to we're going to upend the economy. We're going to take away long-standing rights, long-standing ideals, foundational principles of this republic. Sanders is just saying let's do that tomorrow. Biden for all of his oh, I'm you know, I'm just moderate and I'm you know, just trying to remember what day it is and what country I'm in, uh for all of Biden's uh, talk he wants us to eventually get to, or at least what he supports, would get us to the same place that Bernie Sanders will. It's just a question of speed. That's really the only difference. Buttigieg, far left. Warren, far left. Tulsi Gabbard, far left. Who's the, who's the moderate candidate in this field on policy for Democrats? I, I, don't, I don't think there is one. No, there, there are no. Yang, far left. I mean, you go down the list. Klobuchar, okay, she's... Slightly more cent- slightly more to the center than these other far left candidates, but she's also really only differentiating herself from the rest of that field by not wanting to take away people's private health insurance. But she'll just take the position, I'm sure, if she were president, of well, we're going to regulate and regulate and regulate more uh, the government dictation about what private health insurance should look like, what's fair, how much, how many taxpayer dollars should go to propping. Uh, the healthcare welfare system up of Medicaid, and I mean that's she's not a free market, and on all the other issues as well. I mean she's you know abortion all nine months of a pregnancy. You go to you know she's uh, climate change is terrifying. These these people are are completely are completely nuts. But if we really want to get a sense, you know, if we're going to call Bernie Sanders a socialist, and I'm going to call him Comrade Sanders as I do, and make jokes about this, I think you should hear. What this guy really thinks, you know, what what because he's been consistent his whole life. So there's no reason he's never repudiated the things that I'm going to play for you now. He's never said he's learned his lesson as to why they were wrong. There's no reason to believe that he does not still believe these things. These are just different moments from his life as an adult, as a political activist and a politician. What he has said about the most oppressive totalitarian socialist regimes in the world, how he really feels about socialism. Play clip 20. You know, it's funny. Sometimes American journalists talk about how bad a country is because people are lining up for food. That's a good thing. In other countries, people don't line up for food. The rich get the food and the poor starve to death. You know, as as a socialist, the word socialism does not frighten me. I think when we were in Moscow, for example, I think most of the 
people here also were extremely impressed by their public transportation system. The stations themselves were absolutely beautiful, uh, including many works of art, chandeliers that were beautiful. It was a very, very effective system. Also, I was impressed by the youth programs that they have, uh, their palaces of, of, of culture for, for the young people, a whole variety of, young, uh, of programs for young people, and cultural programs which go far beyond what we do in this country. To China and its leadership. Because if I'm not mistaken, they have made more progress in addressing extreme poverty than any country in the history of civilization. Okay, so they've done a lot of things for their people. But I remember, for some reason or other, being very excited when, when Fidel Castro made the revolution in Cuba. I was a kid and I remember reading that. And it was just seemed right and appropriate that poor people were rising up against rather ugly rich people. You may recall way back in, what was it, 1961, they invaded Cuba. And everybody was totally convinced that Castro was the worst guy in the world. And all the Cuban people were going to rise up in rebellion against Fidel Castro. They forgot that he educated their kids, gave them health care, totally transformed the society. But just because Ronald Reagan dislikes these people does not mean to say that the people in their own nations feel the same way. That's quite a hit list, isn't it? Let's discuss some of this, shall we? There you had Bernie Sanders describing how bread lines, which are really one of the primary, one of the rhetorical criticisms you often hear about communism, about the Soviet Union, is people had to wait in lines for bread. And by the way, the bread wasn't very good. They ran out of bread. It was stale. And you got what you got. And that was all that you got. You know, here, you want to go get bread. You got so many options. I I can't even, you know, you walk into an American grocery store and the abundance that is before you, you know, we're all kind of numb to this, but it really is incredible. And it is a testament to free market capitalism. The stuff that you've got going, I mean, you know. I mean, I'm gluten-free. There's like a whole gluten-free sections. I can get I can get everything bagels. I can get, you know, all kinds of muffins. I can get all this stuff. And this is only possible because of individual market decisions, people making choices about what they can buy, and the profit motor for the producers. And that's why we have all that. We've seen what happens in other places when the government decides, this is who will make the bread, this is how much bread we will make, this is how the bread will taste, and this is what you get. Bernie Sanders... As an adult, after going to the Soviet Union, like, you know, bread lines, at least people are getting bread instead of starving. Wow. Well, first of all, where are the, where are the countries that he's talking about where people, where are the capitalist free market countries where people are starving? Let's start with that. I want, I want to know where the evidence is of that, uh, but has no problem with, had no problem with bread lines. Does not feel ashamed at all about uh, the breadline situation. He mentioned Moscow and talked about how impressed he was. Remember, that's Soviet Moscow. This guy goes to the Soviet Union on his honeymoon. A lot of Freudian stuff you can get into there. Goes to the Soviet Union on his honeymoon and comes back and wants to tell everybody how amazing and beautiful their transportation system is. Have you ever seen what a car looks like that was made in the Soviet Union? I actually was, I was driving around. It's kind of a long story because the Iraqis had some of the stuff that came from it's essentially leftover from the Soviet Union. So when I spent time with the Iraqis on some Iraqi army bases, uh, I would drive around in this this little car made in the Soviet Union, and it was it was ama- it was hilarious. It was like if you tried to design 
the ugliest, least efficient, least comfortable piece of garbage possible and still call it a car? That's what that's what it was. And Bernie Sanders is running around acting like their transportation system was great. Yeah. And, you know, North Korea has a couple of places you can go to, too, where they've got, you know, really tall buildings and they've got amazing murals and all this stuff. You know, totalitarians can pull off some uh, some showy structures and can do some things in some places that look like, oh, we, we know what we're doing here. But you got to look at the actual society. What do the people deal with every day? What are the consumer products that they have access to? You know, what, what are the services that they have access to like? It's, it's amazing. And he talks about China. He says China has been more effective in, in, in ending poverty. Yet yeah, China adopted a, a government-directed free market model. Right? Ch- China it has a very heavy hand on this, but it's really state-directed capitalism. It's not, China is not a, a con- there's, there's not government ownership of all the means of production and the direction of where they will be distributed and what the prices will be. That's not how China elevated uh, people out of poverty. And to say that it's the most successful country ever at doing that is just, he's just saying, well, they've, for a country that has a billion people, yeah, they have a lot more people that they could, they had a lot more poor people and a lot more people that they could elevate out of poverty because it's such a populous country. But he, he admire he admires what China has done without thinking about how did China elevate people out of poverty by making market reforms, and also, what were the costs that the Chinese government, with its state direction of a market-driven economy, what were the costs the Chinese government incurred on, on, on its own people? One-child policy, you know, how many millions of forced abortions and sterilizations, oppression that is really, uh, to this day, jaw-dropping. You see what's going on with the, the Uyghurs in these internment camps in western China and, and uh, Xinjiang. Uh, it's, it's appalling what's going on, but Bernie Sanders admires that authoritarian impulse on display from the, not even impulse, authoritarian hand on display from the Chinese government. Oh, and then he goes to Cuba, and some of my, you know, some of my good friends, uh, they're a bit older than me, but uh, I've got a, a couple of friends and mentors who are were born in Cuba, raised in Cuba, and fled uh, one friend in particular was at, at the Bay of Pigs, and I just would I would love to hear Bernie Sanders try to explain to him how Castro is not a monster, and what he did was not the the rape and enslavement of an entire island under an imported foreign ideology of Marxism that was used in order to uh, destroy people and pretend to do and pretend that it's for their own good. Bernie Sanders saying that he was excited, it was right and appropriated, uh, sorry, right and appropriate for people to rise up in Cuba. Uh, it's just stunning, stunning that he could ever say this. And does he repudiate it now? He says that they educated their people and gave them health care. Wow. He's kind of jealous at what a good job Cuba did in educating people and giving them health care. Would any person here rather walk into a Cuban clinic than go into their local health clinic in an American city or an American town? If they answer yes to that question, they're just not very bright. Would you rather be a part of the Cuban education system or the American education system? Not a lot of people from all over the world are rushing to Havana to go to university. 
how how could anyone be so foolish? This is the this is the blinding power of ideology. Bernie Sanders is a socialist, a real socialist, someone who has spent decades of his life saying very sweet things about oppressive, monstrous, totalitarian communism. And do we think that he's really learned any lessons about this? No. He still thinks that they just did it the wrong way, but he'll do it a better way. And he is now the leading Democrat presidential nominee. He is the front runner. I mean, it better be it better be Trump or it better be Bloomberg. It better be somebody other than this guy. That's all I can tell you, because this uh, I, I'm not someone who does a lot of the, you know, you know, a lot of people try to get attention on radio by always calling for, you know, catastrophe looms around the corner. I don't do that. I think it's boring and, and intellectually lazy. If Bernie Sanders wins the election, I'm I'm selling all of my equities and I am piling up with gold and precious metals and moving to a place where I can enjoy my Second Amendment rights without fear of going to prison. And I'm getting ready for things to get ugly because it's going to be bad in this country. The economy is going to get really bad. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It turns out not very much, except to continue to point out to people that uh, decisions relating to LGBTQ rights, health care, minority rights, all will be decided by these uh, Trump appointment judges with lifetime appointments, because he's already filled over 25% of the circuit courts with his nominees, and uh, literally you know, more district court judges in his time than Barack Obama did. So he's very busy, and Mitch McConnell is right there, and we have to, of course, start with with the two Supreme Court vacancies that were filled by Trump nominees. And when Mitch McConnell says his goal in life is to fill these vacancies with the most ideological conservative people he can think of, he is not kidding. I think it's good that everyone is now pretty open and, and upfront, and at least anyone who's intelligent, that the, the courts have become just an ideological battleground the same way that the Congress is. I know people would, even some conservatives would disagree with that statement, but it is the reality that we live in now. Because the the left decided a long time ago that they did not want people who were going to interpret the law as it is, including in ways that would be not in line with policy that they want. And so we've had to now suffer, and this has been a one it's been a one way ideological war for a while in the courts, in which the Left-wing judges give whatever the left wants, uh, give the left whatever it wants, and conservative judges are like, well, even if I don't like this outcome, this is what the Constitution dictates. This is what the Constitution says. Um, now, I still think that you would you'd be able to argue that conservative judges take that approach, but at least now we can say that taking that approach is, in fact, in ideological opposition to what the left wants. The left wants judges who legislate. The right wants judges who look at the law. I actually don't want judges who will legislate. We don't have that problem. We don't have judges who just make stuff up out of whole cloth. But we should be honest that this is a battle. This is a fight. And I played, you know, Maisie Hirono, as I tell you, is the dumbest member of Congress, which is true. But I play, the, uh, I play this clip for you because when she says 25% of circuit court nominees, I think it's actually more like 28%. 28% of circuit court nominees right now are Trump appointees. This is an incredibly important and powerful legacy of what Trump has already done in the first three years. Imagine if he gets four more years. 
He's already had two Supreme Court picks, excellent ones, by the way, two of the best judges we've got. Excellent picks from from Trump on the, for the Supreme Court. Imagine what it looks, what the judiciary, including the Supreme Court, but also down to the federal and appeals court bench, what it looks like in four years. Liberals are terrified at this prospect because they know that there are a lot of things that they'll never realistically be able to get through the legislative process. They don't have enough. You know, the far left in this country, which is 20 to 30 percent of Americans at this point, I would I would estimate the far left wants things they know they'll never get Congress to go along with. So what do they do? They turn to the judiciary. They turn to judges. And if they don't have that outlet, that option, they begin to panic. So that's why there's a lot right now. Uh, riding, not just on. I mean, there's a lot. Look, to say there's a lot riding the presidency is uh, quite an understatement. But uh, the the future of the uh, judiciary and what it looks like, not just for the next four years, but for the next thirty years, is very much at stake with this election. And that means that it's going to get even uglier from the perspective of what liberals are willing to do. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, she, uh, every day I'd say, what'd you do? And she'd say, well, I played Scrabble today. And I said, who'd you play with? The housekeeper. Uh, Did you win? Yes, of course. And I said, mother, the housekeeper works for us. She's throwing the the game to you. She said, that's an outrage. And then she'd finish by saying, and if you learn to play Scrabble, you'd learn how to spell. I said, mother, at my age, I'm never going to learn how to spell. So I'm I'm there and I have the housekeeper and I have all the help you know I have the butler and I have the various you know the servants you know and I'm playing Scrabble with them and uh, you know <laughs> no I don't I don't know I think Bloomberg didn't come from like a super fancy uh, upbringing but I think if I were him I'd be a little more. A little more circumspect about the whole, like, you know, so there I got the help, and she's playing Scrabble with me, you know, she's taking care of things in the house and everything else. Look, Bloomberg is third in the national polls right now, getting real close to being second in some of these national polls. And you look at some of the major states, uh, some of the major states where Democrat votes are really going to matter a whole heck of a lot in this primary. Well, Obviously, Democrat votes, but where those states will matter a whole lot as to who's going to be the nominee, Bloomberg does very, very well. And the more you people look at Bloomberg and then look at the other guy who's the primary challenge in that lane of the more centrist or more moderate, I should say moderate, not really centrist, more moderate Democrat, it's this guy. Play clip three. People wanted to really to see you get mad when Trump started lying about Hunter and saying things about Hunter. I don't know that you got mad enough. Well, you know, I uh, I would like to be able to be back in high school and just have he and I in a room. Of course. Uh, I know. Yeah, I'd like to be able to take him and, uh, you know, have a fight because that's really a mature way to say this. And, uh, yeah, I mean, not not to be that guy. But, uh, I mean, if push came to shove, Donald Trump would wreck Joe Biden. <laughs> Let's just be honest. I mean, he's like, he's probably got about 50 pounds on him. He's probably got about two or three inches on him. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just saying, if, if they went in the steel cage match, I put my hair on, on President, uh, President Swoop hair. Any, any day of the week. I think he's definitely going to come out. I think he'd win an arm wrestling match. I think. Joe Biden would get R-E-K-T, as the kids say. Wrecked. 
uh, I also n- n- don't really believe the story about, you know, corn pop. I said, corn pop, you know, are you cool, man? Because I'm, I'm cool and I'm going to take this this razor and, you know, I'll make it all rusty and I'm going to take a chain and I'm going to get out there like I'm I'm fighting in the movie The Warriors. Remember, you know, that movie about the gangs with the remember that? Remember how there used to be kind of an expectation, like in the 70s and the 80s, gang members? There were only certain weapons that really gang members were supposed to carry, and it was a chain, which I've never seen anyone use a chain in a fight or, you know, that, that's not, you know, like, like, a, like a, a bike chain, a lead pipe, which would you even know where to find a lead pipe, and a switchblade, which I'll just be honest, there are better knives out there for close quarters combat. It reminds me of, like, Grand Theft Auto. Or if that's you, right. Or the, twisted metal, any of these old. These are like the theatrical games. gang weapons yeah, that people. Not real. I mean, you unless know. you're hanging out in a construction site or an Ace Hardware. Yeah, you know, you're, exactly. If you're gonna fight in a hardware store, sure. And I even feel like real. back in the day, remember when people used to think of two by fours as a weapon? There was a wrestler. Yeah, there was a professional. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Hacksaw oh. Jim Duggan. Oh, I remember that guy. <laughs> he used to carry around a and, two by four. And an American flag. I mean, so I like him because he's carrying a flag. <laughs> he's, he's still just, wrestling. But uh, but I, is he really? A lot of these older guys do independent circuits. We talked we talked a little bit with the we talked a little bit wrestling earlier in the week too. Yesterday. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. I, I, gosh, I forget I forget what day it is. I forgot about hacksaw Jim Duggan though. Mm-hmm. Ah, man, he was. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that you know. It, it all sort of comes back to me. It's like this is a part of my youth that I think more about it. And I, I watch so much, so much of this stuff. I remember ravishing Rick Rude. Yeah, and he used to stand up there, and he had like a face on the tights on his butt, <laughs> and you know what I'm talking. And he would make the cheeks yep. move so that mm-hmm. the mouth would move, and the I don't know if that's even like is that even like safe for work? Is that safe for families? Safe for a wrestling fans. It was safe for wrestling fans apparently, but I remember that guy ravishing Rick Rude. Who who else am I? Who were the real kids? Like that that era was the one that I knew the best. Hmm. So you you probably were big into Macho Man and Macho Man Randy Savage for sure. Jake the Snake Roberts. Yep, yep, yep. Jake the Snake Roberts. He was pretty excellent. I dude, I remember Randy Savage still around. He's a big dude still. Randy Savage passed away several years ago, unfortunately. Oh man, I'm totally wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I I stand corrected. I'm uh, sorry. He had cardiac cardiac arrest while and he drove into a. uh, Oh man, sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't know that. I, I, thought, know. I thought the Macho Man was still... Ooh, I, I still yeah, think of him as doing the, doing the Slim Jim commercials. No. In our hearts. In our hearts, but no. Yeah, in our He's hearts. No longer with us. Macho Man Randy Savage forever. I did not realize. He he was one of my favorites. He he was... Uh, sometimes he was a good guy, right? And then he was a bad guy sometimes? Oh, sure. As they call it, a face or a heel. Right. Yeah. I've, had to, I've had to learn this. Um, okay, so uh, speaking about heels, nice transition there. Joe Biden, uh, not only is he saying he wants to fight President Trump, but we just established that President Trump would beat him in a fight. So I'm just I'm just saying. Plus, you know, Trump probably he definitely is like the kind of, you know, I'm just if, if you scrap with Trump, he definitely throws elbows. I'm not going to say he'd bite, but, you know, he's got some Scottish blood and Scottish bar fighting. It's pretty much whatever, whatever goes, goes. You know, that's those are the rules. The rules are there are no rules. Well, to tie the two, you saw Donald Trump uh, took part of WWE several years ago, where he had a hair mat with Vince McMahon. I mean, I even I wasn't even thinking about this. We got one guy with a professional wrestling background, technically, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, and Joe Biden, who likes to talk about an imaginary fight with Corn Pop 50 years ago. So I think you put your money on Trump every day of the week. I'm, j- I'm just saying. Uh, Joe Biden, though, also likes to go around now and say things 
that to anyone who has been paying attention to this whole Ukraine situation, this stuff is just embarrassing. Uh, he keeps claiming, by the way, he went on The View, which I don't, I mean, well, why do people, I, who, watch, who watches The View? Joy Behar is so dumb. Who watches The View? And and Sonny Hostin says nonsense. And, you know, I I actually like grew up kind of being a, a Whoopi Goldberg fan. I liked Sister Act when I was a kid. You know, I saw some of his movies. I don't. I can't bring myself to 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 dislike dislike Whoopi. Joy Behar is the one who really sets me off. But there's nothing really. Wor- I mean, if you want to talk about you know actors, celebrities, you know how to make the best summer salad. Fine, watch the View. But to have like serious politics. Anyway, I guess this is the world we live in now. You know, c- celebrity and politics are one and the same. Uh, but here's Biden on the View again. Play clip four. It, it, it is it is hurtful, particularly when guys like Lindsey Graham, who's a friend of mine, oh God. do these things. He's still a friend. Well, you know, look, presidents can't. I, I plan on being president. Presidents can't hold grudges. You got to heal. Mm. We got to heal the country, mm. and uh, mm. and I, and I just don't want to let myself get into the mood of, like, for example, people say, "Well, why don't I attack his kids? They're making no. millions of dollars." No, no, no. I, no. I, I just, I, I, I just, I, I, that's not how we were raised. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. and look. Uh, Nobody has said he's done anything wrong. This is a guy who is, uh, has done nothing but good things his whole life. My son and ran the food program USA and a whole, whole range of things. But look, it's it's what it is. We knew it was going to be ugly. So notice how he's not challenged on that statement. He's got a whole table full of pundits, effectively. I mean, I don't know if Joy Behar can spell pundit, but she, there's a whole table of, of pundits there. And none of them challenge him when he says, uh, this is a guy who's done nothing but good things his whole life, my son, speaking of Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden was kicked out of the Naval Reserves the same month that he was given a commission because of who his dad is for failing a drug test for crack. Hunter Biden, in recent months, lied about paternity of a baby that he had with a stripper whom I'm not sure if he and the stripper had an ongoing relationship or if there was a monetary transaction involved. I do not know. But he met her at the strip club, and I believe there was activity in the VIP lounge. Uh, Nothing wrong his whole life. I'm not even talking about the Burisma stuff yet and, and getting paid because there's the appearance of influence to your father, who's the vice president of the United States, who's running foreign policy in a country, Ukraine, that was, in fact, at war and was taking pretty heavy casualties in that war. And you're going to profit off of that? You're going to profit off of your association with your father uh, being a part of a corrupt company? I mean, no, no, Joe Biden says something like that, and no one at the table says, well, hold, hold on a second. I mean, I am a much, I am a much better person than Hunter Biden is based on the record of Hunter Biden that I know, and I would never in a million years say I've done nothing but good things in my whole life. That would I'd feel like a moron saying that, and it would be untrue. I mean, I've made mistakes. I've done the wrong things sometimes, but I haven't done Hunter Biden-level wrong things. <laughs> That's for sure. And no one at that table even says anything. Yeah, Hunter Biden's amazing. <sighs> you know, it's this is just what we keep seeing. There's, there's no effort at honesty the lib media is is full of of complete and utter uh, sycophants, sycophants who will do whatever is necessary to help 
a Democrat get into the White House. Oh, speaking of the view, oh, I don't think she does the view anymore, but she uh, she has been on in the past. I mean, this is this is a CNN political analyst, also does ABC sometimes, and I've said before, and I don't like saying things that are mean, and I've I've said that libs are crazy and dumb a lot today, but some of their stuff is crazy and dumb, so I'm just trying to be objective. I think Anna Navarro is the the single worst uh, political analyst on television, and you know this is some of the, for example, the contribution she makes to the discussion debate over the president of the United States. Remember, she elevated when I was brought a quick story when I was brought into CNN initially to be a conservative political commentator there, which means that you are, in wrestling speak, a heel. You are not a face, uh, and they treat you like a heel. When I was brought in there initially, uh, they told me that you know they're so proud of some of their recent contributors and, and how they've grown into household names, you know, and that one day I, sort of, I could aspire to be in the same kind of category as, as someone like an Anna Navarro. And I remember, I'd already familiar with her work, and I just remember thinking to myself, no, I will never be an ignorant fool. That that will never, no matter what happens here at CNN, I will never be a person who does not value knowledge and display an understanding of things that he talks about. Uh, Anna Navarro, however, is able to go on TV, TV and make a complete fool of herself and have Jeff Zucker and CNN continue to write her, I'm sure, very fat checks to be a moron. Play uh, nine here. I think it's downright laughable for somebody to define Donald Trump as the man, the masculine man on the stage. The masculine man on the stage, listen, he's a draft dodger. This is a guy who wears more pancake makeup than any drag queen I ever saw. This is a man whose hair is dyed. This is a man who, you know, allegedly gets thanked with a folded up magazine by a stripper. So I don't know what the definition is of masculinity or being a man's man, but I'd much rather a Pete Buttigieg who is loyal and who loves his husband, mm. his one husband, as opposed to a man who cheated on his pregnant wife with a Playboy model and cheated on the Playboy model with a stripper, who then he paid hush money to. That's you know making fun of his appearance. Uh, making fun of of his hair, and then talking obviously about his look, his personal life. If he's president, is at some level fair game. I understand that, but this is what CNN offers up as a political commentator, and they wonder why. I mean, I don't respect them. Tapper's a fraud. Cooper's a fraud. Lemon's a fraud. These people are fakes. They're phonies. None of them are very bright. None of them are very good people. Not very knowledgeable. But they're propped up over there at CNN, and they prop up some of these contributors who are all complete fools. And I don't even know enough about MSNBC to speak the same way about their role. But they've got a similar situation. Look at this. They pay Joe Scarborough. What else do you have to know? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Team, we often talk about how big tech is skewed against conservatives. I was quite annoyed about YouTube's decision to continue to remove Eric Sharamella's name from anything on YouTube's platform. You cannot say it. It's like Voldemort. The name is forbidden to be said. Well, we've got somebody joining us now who's written a whole book about this. we got Peter Hassan on the line. He's an editor of The Daily Caller. His book is The Manipulators, Facebook, Google, Twitter, and Big Tech's War on Conservatives. Peter, great to have you. 
Absolutely. All right, man. How how are these companies? I mean, I, I have a whole lot of ways that I would say, but you wrote a book on it. So tell me, how are they waging war? Uh, Google, Facebook, Twitter on conservatives. Uh, yeah. So it's really just a top to bottom, uh, um, you know, culture war inside these companies against conservatives. You know, that um, their internal cultures are just. You know, there's far left, and then there's you know Google far left. It, it's a it's a whole different animal. Um, and just to give you an idea of uh, of, of how far to the left these employees are, um, you know, I found uh, I obtained internal documents that showed Google Google employees having you know temper tantrums because someone used the word family in, in a company presentation, which uh, was presumed to be offensive to uh, uh, people that didn't have kids or, you know, and so they just had this whole meltdown. Um, you know, somebody was saying, well, my family is me and, you know, three other trans feminine people, some of whom I'm dating, some of whom I might date later. And it's, it's almost a, a parody of, of you, know, you know, campus snowflakes, but you know, it, it it would be funny if if these weren't you know the people with the you know the the people controlling the world's most powerful companies. Um, and so, um, wait, did really you? So when they always companies. say though that they're not that they're not biased, right? That it's not biased. That this just their algorithms do certain stuff, and that there's no. How do we how do we get around that, or how do we take on that argument that they just say that there's essentially a a series of, of mathematical formulas that are determining mm-hmm. that conservatives get, oh, they get shadow banned, or oh, they get pushed aside somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, the algorithms do what they're designed to do. You know, so if you design an algorithm that will prioritize CNN, Washington Post, the New York Times, um, in Google search, then... <laughs> then you can't really say, well, well, it's not me. It's the algorithm when, when the algorithm does exactly what you've designed it to. And that's what we've seen on Google and Facebook and all of them. Um, um, Google um, has massively overhauled their search algorithm since the 2016 election. And that's on purpose. That's as a direct response to Trump, you know, shocking the world in 2016. Um, I get you. So, so Peter, how, how are we going to make this better? How does how do we yeah, how we, we, people always say, OK, so they're biased. Now what? Yeah. So as the the right really needs to, to take the fight to these tech companies the exact same way that the left takes the fight to these tech companies. And that's part of the reason why. Uh, these, these companies don't respect people on the right is because they know they aren't going to do anything about it. So e- even if people on the right don't want to break up these companies, I totally understand that. You at least need to threaten to break up these companies. All right. So cool. that will take the, the, seriously. The, the book is The Manipulators. It's by Peter Hassan. Facebook, Google, Twitter, and Big Tech's War on Conservatives. Uh, Peter, thanks so much, man. Appreciate you joining. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. 
Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Or if you want to email, please do teambuck at iheartmedia.com. And if you get the chance and you're in the New York area during drive time, 6 to 7 Eastern, please do uh, listen in on radio to WOR, which is 710 AM here in the New York area. We have our, our new live and local hour for the New York market on WR radio. And the more that we can get Team Buck to tune into that when they can, the better. Also, you can listen, of course, on the iHeartRadio app if you want to hear that New York-focused show. David, first up in roll call. You are a blessing to the country. David, you are a blessing to Team Buck. Keep up the good work. Have you seen Shameless? Overall, the show is just a little too much. But what I love about the show is the father, Francis Gallagher. He's a continual parody of liberals. Frank, as they call him, is on a perpetual quest to get something free by verbally abusing and misaccusing people and institutions of discrimination, misuse of power, etc., while committing continuous acts of dishonesty, discrimination, etc. It really soothes my heart to see this character pointing out the sick lunacy of the liberal approach. Shields high. Uh, David, I, I have seen a couple of episodes of Shameless. Uh, I found it to be it, it, it's it can, it's entertaining for what it is. It's a little far fetched too. Um, I'd have to go back and watch a little bit more. So I'm I'm not as familiar with the exposing of a, a liberal mentality as as you are alluding to here. So I'll check it out. Uh, do you watch a producer, Brandon? Have you been a have you been a a watcher of Shameless? I watched the the first season, and it's like you said, it was entertaining, but it was just wasn't for me. It was just a lot. Yeah, it was, I, it was I, I do remember. I feel like it would go from it would go from like, oh, we're all having fun to something really intense and serious would happen, and then it was like, whoa. Agreed. It was just a lot. To kind of be in. jarring. You're like, wait, well, what happened there? I wasn't yeah. expecting that. This is you know. And I felt uncomfortable watching it. You know, you saw like point. ha ha ha, and then like some teenager commits suicide or something, and you're all of a sudden like, whoa, what just happened on this show? Yeah, no, I agree you know? with you. Same page. Yeah, so, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I gave it a shot because it's just so popular, but. I'm not I really like the Americans, by the way. I'm trying. I'm trying to spread. It. I know it's old now. It's been out off air for a few years. I think it's five or six seasons, but it's a very. If you want to understand how espionage and intelligence collection works on a human to human level, it does a pretty good job of showing that. I've heard the same thing about Berlin Station too, which I think on Epics, but I haven't seen that one yet. I'm catching up now on Better Call Saul because the last season's now on Netflix. Okay, you're gonna have to. You're, I, I trust your opinion, producer Brandon. Is it worth? I tried to watch the first season. I found it so dull that I was just dying. And I love Breaking Bad. So you did watch Breaking Bad? Of course, all of it. Okay. Amazing. Breaking Bad might be the greatest show of all time. It gets better. It, I, it took me a while to get into Better Call Saul because I was waiting for all the characters from Breaking Bad to like kind of make appearances and do some stuff, and it just felt like when that happens, a lot of the Mike scenes would be really good. And uh, of course, when Gus comes back, Gus Fring. So it does get better. And you know, I watched the Breaking Bad movie they put on Netflix, yeah. which just has the felt kind of unnecessary. I agreed. We're on the same know? page. Yeah. It's just like okay. Okay, so what? <laughs> that's it. No, yeah, it was exactly. it was just on that's it just wasn't you didn't need to watch it. You're like, okay, I mean this didn't add anything worthwhile. It didn't you know, it just sort of took the next step. Completely agree. Yeah. I wasn't really. I didn't really get why. I guess well, people like me and you watch it because we love because <laughs> we, we love Breaking it. Bad so much. That's sure. a fair. That, yeah, you know, fool us. There you go, Jr. 
Buck, never miss a podcast. Thank you, JR. Is it time for the president to take credit for record Democratic donations? His economic policies have put more disposable income in the hands of those seeking to defeat him. Recently introduced the Buckster to a friend. You are now a staple. Shields high. JR, thank you so much, man. That's the single most helpful thing any of you can do for this show is to get a friend of yours to start listening to the podcast. Um, That's honestly, you can give me no higher compliment, no better early birthday and Christmas present than get a friend. Just tell somebody, hey, have you heard the Buck Sexton show? You should check it out and tell them it's on iTunes and that I want to, and tell them that I I should be their daily news deep dive. That's what I want. I want people to listen to this show. They'll know everything they need to know about the news cycle to listen to this show. Yeah, minus you know all the like oh climate change we're all gonna die from climate change I don't do that here because that's crazy. Uh, Dylan uh, writes they're gonna take out the old crazy lib leftovers in the fridge and make you the world's most dishonest meatloaf. Buck Sexton. Oh, I was like, who said that? That's pretty funny. I almost died laughing. Seriously, I don't know what Team Buck would do without these sort of priceless next-level insights. Keep up the great work, Shields High. I'll tell you, I even forgot that I said that, and as I was reading it, I was like, that's a great line. <laughs> so, I, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. They're going to take out the old crazy lib leftovers in the fridge and make you the world's most dishonest meatloaf. Yeah. Well said, Buck. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. Thank you. Sage writes, Aloha from Maui, Buck. I love your show and listen religiously. Please don't blame us for Maisie Hirono. This is actually the best place in the world to grow up. If you ever make it out here, I'd be stoked to teach you how to surf. We can start at 60-foot jaws. Ha ha. Shields high. Sage, thank you so much. I would love to learn how to surf. I'd love to just get out to Hawaii, period. That sounds amazing. And uh, thank you for listening to the show. And it's great to know that I... I mean, Hawaii, I think, is... I don't know. I argue might be the most beautiful place on Earth. I mean, it's amazing. It's incredible. So, could I move out there? Maybe one day. It'd be kind of nice. Thomas. Buck, the latest trend in NYC is woke dating. Uh... The saddest part of this is the country is that these activist fanatics adopting this trend are trying to impose this guilt trip on people through public humiliation and social media branding. I sympathize with those generations that came after mine who don't have the values and moral convictions to denounce this insanity and aren't smart enough to understand that dating and marriage is not a function of government or political activism in a free society. Shields high. Yeah, man. Look, uh, Thomas, I can tell you, I, I have had people who have agreed uh, during my, my single days, I've had people who have agreed to go on a date with me and then found out who, when I say who I was, they obviously knew who I was, but uh, did a little more research into what, you know, I'll, I'll say, oh, I'm a, I, you know, I do a political show. I do a political radio show. You know, and I don't necessarily, and if they Google me and they see what I say about certain things, I've had people back out of plans. And, and they've told me, they said, sorry, I just... I you know I can't believe the mean things you say about Greta Thunberg. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> oh man. I don't know. How dare I? It's crazy, you know. You said that mean thing about David Hogg that one time, Buck, child basher. Oh, that was great. It was good times. But yeah, no, I've had people back out. Yeah. Some people would talk about the hot crazy scale. If you ever see in the show How I Met Your Mother, there's also for me there's I guess the hot lib scale, where you know there's like there's like hotness and then there's libness 
and you know there these are there's like two axes that cross at some I'm just I'm just saying I'm keeping it real I'm cuz I'm keeping it real some of you are yelling like this is why you're unmarried buck but anyway, I'm working on it at least producer mark is married Producer Brandon's got a girl. You got a girlfriend, right? You're one. There's one steady. How long? How long has been? It's Valentine's Day. Give us a little something to work with here. How long have you been dating? Uh, about two years. Two years. How'd two you guys? Years. How'd you guys meet? Speaking of online dating, Bumble. Believe it or not. Oh, producer Brand. Uh, your producer Brandon. Producer Mark. Uh, I believe told said Tinder. Oh, okay. Yeah. I tried Tinder. So she had to swipe right, which is the good swipe. Swipe left is bad swipe. Right. That means not interested. She had to swipe right on you first on Bumble, right? Isn't that how it works? Or like doesn't... Or no, she has to say something to you first. She There's has, some female first part of Bumble. Right. We have to both swipe right on each other. Right. And she has to make the first message. Make the first move. That's or it. move, yeah. right. Exactly. Did she like try something particular? She just like, sup, S-U-P. <laughs> I forget how it started. She may have commented on my beard, actually. Oh, speaking of speaking of which, speaking of which, and I'm not. I'm look, producer Brandon. I don't. I don't want to get you in any trouble. Oh God! But I, I do want to say that there was under. We posted a photo with me and producer Brandon yesterday. You did? I missed it. Oh yeah, it's up. A, um, and and a member of Team Buck. I will not name, but it is public because it is on our Facebook page. In response to the photo, the two of us on Facebook wrote, "Wrote, cutie, love the tats, big heart." Aw, okay. So I'm just producer Brandon's got some fans out there. That's all, right. all I'm gonna. That's all I'm gonna say. All right. Well, so you my know, girlfriend is in Mexico now. So. So your girlfriend's in Mexico right now. <laughs> she's going to see uh, Dave Matthews. This is what in she Mexico? does. In Mexico. Yep. She's crazy. Like how I am with Guns and Roses. She's like that with Dave Matthews. I kind of. I, I. I. Dave Matthews because it just reminds. I see. I understand. This. this is why boomers think that like. The Cars are a great band, or Fleetwood Mac I is, enjoy a, them. Is, is a great band. They're okay. They're okay, but but boomers think that those bands are amazing. It's because it reminds them of their youth, and I get that. That's all. Of and us. what I say, Dave Matthews reminds me of that period of like junior high into high school, where the world was just this amazing adventure awaiting, and like everything was cool. So I, even though I don't think Dave Matthews for me is a great band, I have a a special place in my music heart for Dave Matthews. And it's funny because you always puts me in a good mood. You'll get rejected, for lack of a better word, for your beliefs. I I had to think about: Can I date a Dave Matthews fan? I was that against it. Wow! I know. <laughs> can I date a I, Dave Matthews fan? I, I just I'm just not into him. But um, I love her. But I, I just couldn't. That's I know. That's some next level right there. I know. I couldn't be that shallow. So obviously, I mean, I'm glad I. I, I mean, if, if I if I met you know, speaking of there's like the the hot slash lib scale where you measure hotness and liberalness and decide if you're still going to go out with a young lady or a guy. You can it can go both ways here for other people out there who are going to be dating a guy, um, but. I feel like there's some there's some music style genres. You know, if, if a girl told me that she was really, really into like Rammstein and kind of that death metal stuff, <laughs> you like, I love Rammstein. Uh, oh no, of course you do. But like <laughs> as a girl, like I would rather you know, if a girl told me that, it reminds a long time ago I was on a date with a girl who told me this is long. I was in my mid my mid twenties and everything was going great. She was actually Dutch. Mm. She was like, splurgen, flurgen, from the smurger, smurger. You know, she was Dutch. I'm just kidding. She spoke perfect English. But uh, anyway, <laughs> and, and we're on a date, and she she told me that we're talking about, and, and this is also when I would do, you know, you ask people, try to have that, establish that common ground. I asked, what are your favorite movies or what movies do you like? And she started just rattling off all these 
essentially these torture porn movies like <laughs> Hostel and Saw. Wow. And she's just like, yeah, like I really like Hostel and Saw and Saw 2 and Saw 4 and you know, and a bunch of other movies like I didn't really ever heard of before. That sounds like my kind of girl. And, uh, <laughs> well, and if, my girlfriend if, hates if, that stuff. If, so if, if the current, if the current, you know, Ms. Ms. Bread and, uh, you know, you love me, I'll see if I can track this Dutch lady down. <laughs> okay. um, but uh, yeah, this was actually, I was actually on a date in a foreign country, long story. But um yeah, that that threw me off. I'm not gonna lie. Fair. No, it's a lot. I actually am worried about when I have. I say I'm into horror movies because she's not. So I just don't want you to think I'm a freak. I'm like I like watching them. I don't, you know, participate in these kind of acts. But yeah, if you're against it, if you're not a, a fan of it, it can throw you off. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, we're going to do a little more roll call before the weekend gets gets uh, going here, gets crackalacking. Matt writes in, Reginald Vell Johnson was also a cop in Ghostbusters. Hey, Ghostbusters, the mayor wants to see you. Good call, Matt. Mm-hmm. You are correct. You are correct. I'm telling you, I watch Family Matters every Friday for like a, a few years of my young life. And I mean, I, I love that show. I mean, I, I watched... And he was like the you know he was the cop dad in that show. I thought he was great. He was he is really one of the most underrated TV dads of all time. Yeah, he was a great TV dad. He really was. You know, he was a little you know he was a little portly. He was cuddly, but he could be firm when he had to be. And you know, he was a good TV dad. Yeah. I totally agree. He was so funny. I and, feel like that show yeah. doesn't get enough doesn't get a lo- enough kind of like you know retro love. You know, people don't really ever talk about Family Matters anymore. That's a great show. I, I see it on uh, in reruns on some channels. No, I know they, they run it, but like right. it never comes up. You know, people never talk about Urkel anymore. That's why I say it's underrated. I completely yeah, agree. I tell you, it's underrated. We're I mean, on that the same was really distinct. Because like Full House, they did a whole Fuller House or the new Full House, right. and because that was the first in the TGIF. And you know, I, I really like that show too. Poor Aunt Becky. Mm, rough, <laughs> Aunt Becky's had a rough go recently with the whole college scandal. You know. Buying her kid into USC or whatever, but that was a really good one. Perfect Strangers. I don't know if that really you cousin know, Belky. It was just cousin Belky doing his thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. So you know, well, he I, it told you about uh, immigration. You know, he was coming. I forget the name of his uh, his country, but it was uh, he just taught you about uh, the culture. Yeah, and he so. he loved America, and he always wanted to do the dance of joy. Da da exactly. da, da da da. Yeah, I remember. Miro, hey Buck, I'm a new listener from Egypt. Marhaba, shukran. Really enjoyed the podcast. I don't know if you knew this, but in Egypt we had our experience with socialism during Nasser's rule from 1952 to 1970, and it destroyed the country's wealth using social justice as an excuse. We've been trying to recover ever since, which is very difficult because everyone loves free stuff. I hope Americans don't fall for it because it is very dangerous. Shields high. You should visit Egypt. I think it would you would enjoy it, but bring your gluten gluten free stuff with you. Thanks, uh, Miro. I've been to Egypt. Uh, I actually reported from Tahrir Square at one point, and uh, yeah, it's not easy to be gluten free in the uh, Arab world. Uh, depends on where you are, but a lot of pita bread, a lot of pita bread in places, and uh, once they put it on the pita bread, I can't eat it. You know, they're always like, "Oh, just take the chicken, take the shawarma out of it." I'm like, "Nah." Little chunks of bread in there. Can't do it. Can't do it. But that's awesome. We've got a new listener from Egypt, by the way. This, this show is truly international, producer Brandon. 
You know, I love hearing from Team Buck International. I, I put out a call earlier this week. I said, "Hey, if you're a for, if you're listening from a foreign country, and we have we have fantastic listenership on the big military bases abroad and some of the small ones that people don't know about." Uh, but if if you uh, are a foreign listener, uh, please do write in. We'd love hearing from you. John, you screwed up the Conan the Barbarian quote, which is a paraphrase of Genghis Khan. I think crush your enemies, see them driven before you. And hear the lamentations of their women. Well, yeah, John, I mean, I didn't get it perfectly right, but I got it pretty much right. I'll, I'll crush you and hear the lamentations of your women. Just kidding, John. I love you. Thank you for listening to the show. Um, all right, man. That's that's pretty much it. Uh, we got... Oh, wait. We got one more thing here. James, Buck, don't worry. If you get a MAGA hat, supporter awesome Trump, and you walk around with an NYC, many of us who support the president walk around with you. Because there's others of us who live in NYC. Trump supporters are there, too. We'll keep our captain of the Freedom Hut safe from the liberal nutjobs who can only express themselves through violence. Yes, and Campernet producer Mark, he's awesome. Shields High from WGY in upstate New York. James, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Everybody, that's our show for this day. Please do spread the word. Pass the buck over the weekend. Have a great Valentine's Day. Shields High.